Amen. Thank you so much, Maggie. Um, wow. What a powerful time of worship to uh, begin our moments together in chapel and begin this new week. Um, I know with the kind of great chasm here at the pit descended, it feels like there's such a, a distance here, but uh, excited for uh, this new week. And our theme this week is, it is well with my soul. Uh, but really, it is well with my soul. Maybe on Monday, there's a question mark after that statement. And uh, our, our hope for this week is we take an honest look at um, what does it look like to live fully alive, to live in the abundant Christ, the abundant life that Christ offers to us, that he purchased for us on the cross? Uh, what does it look like to live in light of Jesus as our peace, as our shalom, the one who gives us complete and whole well-being? And so through this week, the hope is that maybe it is well with my soul. There's a question mark at the end of that statement uh, uh, on Monday, but the hope is that Friday, by God's grace, there's an exclamation point. And then we can say that no matter what, um, that we can make the declaration in Christ, it is well with my soul. And so I'm excited to introduce the, our speaker for both today and tomorrow, who's no stranger to Northwestern, uh, Susie Larson. And I'll, in, I'll invite her up in just a moment. So she's here Monday, Tuesday. Wednesday, we have Allison Putz, who is, uh, works in student life and our, one of the nurses in the health services. Uh, Thursday, we have prayer chapel here, and then Friday, praise chapel. Um, but for this morning and for tomorrow, uh, Susie Larson, uh, if you uh, maybe recognize her, she has hosted um, uh, Live the Promise for over eight years uh, and up until this last fall, took a brief uh, uh, break and then now is back hosting uh, a show from noon to one uh, on, on the radio, on Faith Radio. So uh, for those of you commuters, it's a great thing to listen in on uh, as you're driving. And I've been listening on for years and have been so blessed uh, by the content and her heart behind uh, those, uh, those radio broadcasts. And so uh, she has written um, uh, uh, 17 books, uh, most recently of which is called Fully Alive, from which she's gonna be sharing some of the key themes out of that for both today and tomorrow. She's been married to her husband for 30 years, um, has three uh, sons, uh, three daughters-in-law, uh, one wonderful grandson, and a pit bull, which I, I have a pit bull too, so we also, I love pit bulls, love my dog as well. So would you please give a very warm Northwestern welcome, one of our very own, Susie Larson. And would you please place a handout over Susie's her and a hand up as we pray for ourselves. Father, you are so good, and we are so grateful that we can be here together in your presence. Father, thank you for um, bringing your daughter and our sister Susie here. I pray that you would fill her with your spirit. pray that you would give her understanding, utterance, and unction as she speaks to us, and Lord, that our hearts would be open, fertile soil to receive your word, to produce fruit. Help us to lean in and pay attention to what you're doing and give you our 100% yes to whatever you call us to today. We love you so much. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. That was amazing. Can we give him a round of applause? I feel like I've already had church. So honored to be with you. And I got to tell you, maybe you know this and maybe you hear it, maybe you don't, but do you know how blessed you are to attend this university? You are so blessed. My hubby and I travel all over the country, and what is happening in different universities is sometimes, a lot of times, alarming. And 
I'm telling you, I, you know, having been part of this institution for 13 years now, it's so well led, and the people behind the scenes are the salt of the earth, and they care deeply about you and your future. Uh, my hubby and I have two African sons in Rwanda that we're helping with education and business, and he mentors them, and he goes to Rwanda, and we've got a ministry there, and um, there are so many young people your age that would give their right arm to have an education like you're getting, and I don't mean that as a and ought to or should do, I pray you see it as a get to, that you would not squander an ounce of this experience, that you would steward it, because the world needs your influence desperately. And uh, I'm so honored to be here this morning. As Justin said, I'm drawing from the content of my book, Fully Alive, but also I'm fresh off the battlefield, and I pray um, that I can convey what, what God has given me this morning. And this morning's message is titled, He Restores, based on Psalm 23.3, He Restores My Soul. I've learned some significant things about the restoration of the soul in this last battle that I've been through, and I'll, again, touch on it in just a moment. But, you know, God is so good to do that. In this 23rd Psalm, it says, you know, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And there are times when you have a stressful day, a stressful couple of days, you might go walk by the lake, put on some worship music, and you just feel that quickening where there's a moment that he touches you and you're like, I'm good. You know, that, that was a soul restoration. But there's an accumulative stress that happens in your soul and mind that requires a little bit more than just a moment by the river. And for me, with some of the things that I've walked through, there's a, the, a phrase that comes up for me again and again, and it's this tenacious hope. I've needed tenacious hope to lay hold of everything God has promised me, especially as it relates to soul restoration. Nothing has ever come easy for me. I've had to fight for just about everything, spiritually speaking, praying hard, apprehending the promises of God. And thankfully, the Lord has wired me with a little bit of feistiness, so that comes in quite handy in the battle, I'll just say. Uh, this is a picture of my boys. Um, they're all grown, they're all married, and we have one grandson, and my husband's in there too. Um, this was before they all got beards and tattoos, so I love this picture, <laughs> but anyway. But the big joke, they're all over six feet tall, I'm five foot two, and uh, the big joke, even when I was raising them, they passed me up in grade school. Um, was that of all the testosterone in the home, I'm actually the Navy SEAL. And that's just the big joke with all of them. So like my hubby and I were going on a date, the boys would be like, Dad, you're in good hands. <laughs> It'll be okay. And uh, he's like, you know, thankfully he was super secure about it, you know. If I was late at a church meeting, they'd ask, you were on a covert mission, weren't you? I mean, you know, they'd always ask me for the gun show, and I, I would flex because I got some biceps. But anyway, so this is uh, I'm just saying. Yeah, but, uh, but, so, thank you. Who would have thought that would have, okay, now you're awake. Anyway, so, I'm so praying I don't go down. I just, please pray for me. But anyway, so my two older sons were musicians, so they were often at church doing worship practice. My youngest son was an athlete, and I was an athlete, and worked in the fitness industry for about 15 years. So oftentimes the boys would be at church while Jordan was home at the table doing his homework. And I taught fitness classes and managed fitness departments. I taught cycle, step, high-low, hip-hop, and, and, and a little bit of kickboxing when it came around. Thank you. I love it when you talk back to me, by the way. So keep, keep it coming. All right. So one day I come home as I've been through a training on kickboxing, and JoJo's at the table doing his homework. And I said, honey, did you know that the uppercut has really nothing to do with your deltoid strength? It's all in the quads. And he's like, mom, what? 
And I'm like, no, get up, get up. And he's like, I got a math test. I go, no, get up, get up. So anyway, he gets up. And I'm like, OK, you got to get underneath it. You get under it, you come up. I mean, just get up. And I'm trying to show him how to do that. And I'm like, and the jab. It's all that body strength. You come forward and you pop it, you know. And then the, and then the, you know, the hook, it's all core strength. So I got him up. I'm bobbing and weaving and showing him how to do this. And you know, just remember that. So anyway. <laughs> Now they're all grown, and I cannot tell you how many times they're like, is this a good time to tell you another story? Like, what really happened compared to what I thought happened when they were under our roof? You know, I'm like, okay, I'm feeling secure. What happened, you know? So one day he tells me that he, after school, had gone to a friend's house, and he's really reserved, shy, he's a decent athlete, but just kind of, if everybody else is talking, he doesn't need to be heard. He's that kind of kid. And he was sitting there playing video games, and he was with his buddies, and some new guy he didn't know was talking smack to everybody, kind of like Goliath, like, I'm gonna take you out. And he's just, and nobody wanted to, to box. They had some boxing gloves. Jordan's playing the game, and everybody were like the Philistines, you know? <laughs> or the Israelites, shying away from the Philistines. And nobody would step up. And Jordan, in his shy way, goes, I'll box you. So they're like, dude, all right, you know? Quiet, shy little Jordan, getting up. And so Jordan gets the boxing gloves on, he bobs and weaves, pops him, and knocks him right down, off his feet. <laughs> And so they're all standing around in a circle, staring at the kid whose bell was completely wrong. And they're like, dude, where did you learn to do that? And he's like, my mom. And, uh, so, again, my husband's very secure, praise God. But anyway, there's a time and a place for feisty, I will admit. But it's not the same as tenacious. And tenacious hope is something you're going to need if you don't even need it now. Tenacious means this, to keep a firm hold on something to not readily relinquish your position, a determined, resolute, steadfast, unwavering, unyielding, unshakable stance. That's tenacious. And hope is a confident expectation that God will do as he's promised. In other words, you put that together, and a person with tenacious hope is someone who will not be moved, will not relinquish their position of faith. They will have an unwavering, unshakable expectation that God will do everything that he promised. He restores my soul. How does tenacious hope play into restoration of the soul? Because we often hear it in beautiful songs, and it's a beautiful thing. But there's a battle around it so often. But why and how is that? Well, we lose heart when we're worn out, and we loosen our grip when we lose heart. I don't know that many of you know my story, so I'm going to give you a quick synopsis of it. I grew up in a large family. I was number five of seven kids. Uh, I attended a church where I knew God was real, but I didn't know that Jesus was accessible. I knew God was real, but I didn't have a personal relationship with, with Jesus. Um, that wasn't really something presented to us. Um, I was a people pleaser, a rule follower. When I was about nine years old, a, a group of teenage boys pinned me down. And um, I won't say more than that, but it was a sexual assault. And I got up from that um, experience in a canyon of self Hatred and fear and insecurity opened up within me, and I was so confused as a nine-year-old about what happened there. I didn't know if part of that was my fault, so I didn't tell anybody. But I started to have dreams, just terror, trauma dreams of being attacked. And um, When I was 10 years old, I was walking home from school, and I was four feet tall, and um, a different group of boys who were getting high in the dugout, baseball dugout, all I heard was behind me was, get her! And they ran me down, knocked me down, and they beat me, beat the pulp. You know, out of me. They punched me in the face, kicked me in the stomach, pulled fistfuls of hair, and I was curled in a ball, and they laughed wildly as they just pummeled me. And I remember getting up with a fat lip and scratched face and bruised ribs and snarled hair, and they laughed as they walked away. And I was, I was 
so traumatized, obviously, by that. You know, you see these movies and you see people clocking each other and we get so desensitized to it, but anybody who's ever been punched in the face knows it's trauma. It's not meant to happen, really. And uh, when I got up from that place, I heard in my ear, I don't know that it was audible, but might as well have been, I can get to you anytime, anywhere, and God will never stop me. And fear entered my soul. I knew God was real at that point, and then I knew the devil was real. And I was a, a scared little girl. When I got into middle school, because I was a decent athlete and could sing and whatever, I got very involved in a lot of different things, really to dig myself out of a hole. And this is what happens when you don't know who you are in Christ. You will misuse your time, treasure, and talents to prove something that Jesus has already proven. And so that's what I was doing, you know? Um, did you hear anyone to clap? So let's just, I'm just kidding. I'm just totally kidding. I'm sorry, you're making this way too easy for me. You're so sweet. But anyway, um, but this is true, that when you don't know who you are, you will misuse your time, treasure, and talent. So I was just striving to get myself out of a hole. I didn't know who I was. Came to Christ in eighth grade. You jump ahead. I'm a young mom. Um, I had two of my three pregnancies were high risk, so I went to bed rest for three months with our middle son, six months with our last child. So one and a three-year-old with six months of bed rest. And I was, I needed to perform because I still, I was saved at this point, but I didn't know that I was loved. And I am convinced that many, many Christians live and die knowing they're saved, but they don't know they're loved. I'm not alone in this. And many Christians live and die as a result. They're saved, but they're not free. And we have to contend for our freedom. And I was that girl. I needed to be up and around so I could pay the wretched debt that I believed myself to be and earn points with God. And I could only imagine, I could see the fatigue on people's faces who were bringing us meals and watching our kids. And it confronted every insecurity in me. I couldn't bear to be in debt to so many people. But to be put in bed like that was a nightmare come true for me. I'd gotten kind of depressed and my doctor said after three months in bed, three months to go, why don't you get up and let's test the waters and see how you do. So I met a couple of my old college roommates in Stillwater, a fall day, I'm six months along, walking very carefully, being so careful, had lunch. By nighttime I was contracting, back in bed again. Within two weeks of that outing, I pointed and pins and needles shot out my arm. I turned and all of a sudden a crawling, numbing feeling started in the base of my skull and it was pulsating on my face like I had a bloodsucker on my face. And then I started to get dizzy, blurred vision, my memory started to go. I had three more months to go, and I thought there's something, fireworks, neurological fireworks going off in my body. I mean, literally did think God had lost my address. I, I couldn't understand what I had done to chase him away. My friends had health, they had wealth, and he was silent. And it seemed like all hell was breaking loose. And I delivered my son within a year. My health did this up and down with all these neurological issues. A year later, I find out that the one day that I was up, the deer tick got me, and I got Lyme disease. And uh, the tick attached, bit me, dropped off. I never saw it, never had a bullseye. And it ravaged my health. And the enemy was in my ear. I can get you anytime, anywhere. And God will never stop me. And that began a battle as a young mom, a wretched battle with a disease. And I fought and fought and fought because I wanted to live. In the middle of that place, um, when I, our medical debt was through the roof, my health was terrible. I was so young with three kids. And I just was watching my kids on the floor, and a woman called from church, and she said, I've heard about what you've been through. And I asked, I brought your case before the Lord, because I wanted to know what was going on with this girl. And the Lord gave me a picture of a platform that he's building with your pain that you'll speak from someday. So lean in and learn everything you can, because you'll have a story to tell. 
And um, I knew it was true. And things got worse before they got better for me, but they started to get better. I joined, I got, became a fitness instructor, and I had strict boundaries around my health because if I didn't, I would have flare-ups several times a year. That was the case for the last 20 years. Three years ago, I had a relapse that about took me out, and I felt like I would die. I felt like I was walking through hell, and at this age, with grown kids and one grandson, I couldn't believe that God was allowing it to happen again. And I was getting ready to go to the radio station, and my old Lyme symptoms were flaring, and then new symptoms came. So not only was face, my face numb, but my neck went numb, and my esophagus spasmed so I couldn't swallow. My arms went completely numb, and it felt like there was a, a vice on my head, crushing my head, and my vision was blurring, and the room was spinning. And I'm like, God, no. I'm begging you, no, please don't make me go through this again. Please. And the enemy, before when my face would be numb as a young mom, I felt like he had me by the face going, where's your God now? And I was new enough in my faith that I didn't know. I'm like, I don't know. But I'm a serious follower of Christ. But this time he had me by the throat. And I'm like, this is it. This is it. And I, was, if you could have been in the bathroom and pulled the sky back, it was not only physical chaos in my body, there was spiritual chaos because there was a battle going on over my head. And I'm like, God, where are you? You can't let me go through this again. And the Lord whispered to me in the chaos, the storms reveal the lies we believe and the truths we need. And I'm like, what? And he said it again, the storms reveal the lies we believe and the truths we need. And I'm like, what is the lie that I believe? And I heard it in my ear. I can get to you anytime, anywhere. God will never stop. All these years later, as a serious follower of Christ, I spend ample time with God every morning. I follow him. I love him. I serve him. But the storm revealed a lie that was still in my soul. And the Lord whispered back, Susie, it's a lie. It's not true. He has not had open access to you. He cannot get to you anytime, anywhere. I've had him on a short leash. This is a lie. You can't know what I've provided in your life. You don't know what I've prevented. I'm not going to let you lose, but I have to let you fight. We don't outrun lies. We turn around, we face them, we put them under our feet. And that began a D-Day battle for me. And i got to say, on the other side, I'm fresh off the battle. I'm about 90% recovered. I still have some things I'm working out. But I know God better. I know his truth. I don't have the fear that I used to know. I know his word better. I hated that fight more than I can even express to you. But I am better for it. The storms reveal the lies we believe and the truths we need. And one of the things that I learned in this battle, as a person who's very fitness and health-minded, very word-centered, very passionate, and someone who's battled chronic health my whole adult life, I learned something very important. What happens in your soul happens in your cells. And we can't keep compartmentalizing our lives. And you can't keep doing something over here and ignoring what's going on in here and not have it catch up with you. A counselor friend of mine says, people, women and men alike, are coming to counselors and her and her colleagues in droves with panic attacks, anxiety, irrational fears, crazy physical symptoms that doctors can't define. And what they are seeing across the board is an untended soul. Because if you're not taking care of what's going on in the soul, it'll get your attention another way. It'll push out into your physiology. I talked, uh, interviewed pastor author Jeff Mannion, and he says, we've tried to become experts at not getting hurt, but we need to become experts at learning to heal. We get beat up by life. You know, we just do. 
And sometimes we don't know what to do with the trauma that happens, the loss, the hurts, and the disappointments, so we stuff it down. But what happens when you bury something before it's dead? It comes back to haunt you. And there's one of two ways we tend to uh, react to something that's buried before it's reconciled under the redemptive love of God. One is we rehash, rehearse, and we become a perpetual victim, or we numb out. And there are a lot of Christians numbing out because it surfaces and they push it back down again. But don't you want to really be able to say, as Justin said, he restores my soul. I went after it with God and he restored my soul. I can stand up here before God and tell you, God has more real estate in my soul now. I'm freer, I'm lighter, I'm fiercer. I'm expectant and excited that God is who he says he is and he does what he says he'll do. Scripture says a heart at peace gives, amen, gives life to the body. And you know, in the Gospel of John, Jesus asked a man who'd been sick for a long time, do you want to get well? And his first words were, I can't, sir. God kept bringing me back to that passage again and again. And I, you know, quite frankly, it hurt my feelings <laughs> because I'm like, God, why do you bring me back to this passage? Do I want to get well? I'm, my doctors even said, I don't know anybody as disciplined as you. I mean, I take my vitamins. I go to bed. I drink 70 ounces of water a day. I mean, I'm after it because I have stuff I want to do. I couldn't imagine what else I could do. I'm fasting, praying, enlisting my prayer warriors going, I want to live. Lord, why do you keep bringing me back to this? Do you want to get well? Of course I do. He was just silent. So I thought I better ask a better question. Do I have I can'ts in my own soul, hindrances to my own healing? What are they? About two weeks later, I was at a speaking event. I'm just about ready to go out, and I was having an inflammatory surge in my body, and it's just horrific. It's like I had some brain swelling, so this pressure in my head uh, would cause my vision to blur, everything to go numb, I'd be dizzy, and I, my cognitive function just wasn't as sharp as it would normally be, which is hard to do when you've got to speak, and my arms were completely numb, and my neck was, my esophagus was spasming. It just, I was a piece of cake. But anyway, um, a piece of work, is that what I meant to say? <laughs> a piece of cake. Anyway, I'm backstage, and I'm just like, I cannot believe I have to go out and do this with this surge, Lord, have mercy. I want to just go to bed. And I'm just about to step out, and the host pulls me back, and she says, oh, um, before you go out there, she says, make sure that you tell them you struggle with your health. Otherwise, they're just going to hate you when they get a look at you. And I've heard that like a thousand times, and, um, but it was like a light bulb moment. Because I've been earlier, and I know a lot of you young gals have as well, been on the receiving end of petty, catty, gossipy women, girls, you know? I've had my heart shredded by petty, catty, gossipy girls who love to pick others apart. And so over the years, when I would hear women, and I know sometimes they were joking, but to say, I would hate you if you didn't struggle with your health so much, you know, that would trigger, it would hook and connect to that incredible pain that I went through as a young woman. So I didn't know what to do with it, so I just stuffed it down more. I'd heard it so many times that when I heard it then, this was two weeks after I said, show me my I can'ts, Lord. I'm just about to step out, and the Lord whispered in my heart, could you handle it if I healed you? Could you trust me with your reputation, even in the face of gossipy women? Can you trust me? And I realized it was a thing. It was like a speed bump. So I'm taking my vitamins. I'm praying. I'm fasting. I'm doing everything I know to steward this fight. But I had a core unbelief in my heart. And it was like it was a thing. It took some faith for me to go, yes, Lord, I'll trust you with my reputation. And then he whispered back, and by the way, not all women are that petty. And those who are just need healing, too. Two weeks later, I'm praying for the human trafficking victims, which I do every day. My hubby and I are very passionate about the cause of slavery and human trafficking. 
And I'm, I mean, I, I pray mafia-type prayers when it comes to praying down God's hand on the traffickers that slaves would be set free. And I am going for it, and I'm praying. And uh, all of a sudden, the phrase comes to my mind, blessing yield. And I'm like, blessing yield. And the Lord whispered in my heart, can you handle it if I heal you with the millions and millions of slaves today on the earth? And I'm like, no. I mean, I didn't have to think about it. Capital, no. I mean, and I know theologically in my head that if what God does for one doesn't diminish his capacity to do for another, I know that up here. My soul didn't know it. I think as I'm stewarding my health, I'm feeling blessing guilt because I can afford the supplements I need to help me get well. As I'm stewarding my health, I'm thinking of those who live in abject poverty who are sick with no doctor. And it was this conflict within me, and I had to reconcile it. And I tell you this because there are hindrances to healing in every soul. You can do a lot of the right things and still not believe the right things. But the thing is, if you don't contend for what's going on in your soul, God's message of love in you and through you will get lost in translation. So I dare you to ask God, what are the hindrances in my own soul? What are my own I can'ts? What are my self-limiting beliefs? What are my God-limiting beliefs? To restore the Hebrew root shub is to bring back, to refresh, to repair, to give back, to recover, to recompense, to pay back. <laughs> Who in this room needs something brought back, refreshed, recovered? I want you to hear the 23rd Psalm through the voice translation. It's just, I love reading in different translations, a fresh angle. I, in fact, I'm asking you to close your eyes. And if you're on your phone, put it down. This is the word of God, and it's true for you. It's living, it's breathing, it's powerful. Hear the word of the Lord. The eternal is my shepherd. He cares for me always. He provides me rest in rich green fields. Besides streams of refreshing water, listen to this, he soothes my fears. He makes me whole again. Steering me off worn hard paths to roads where truth and righteousness echo his name. Even in the unending shadows of death's darkness, I am not overcome by fear because you are with me in those dark moments near with your protection and your guidance. I am comforted. You spread out a table before me, provisions in the midst of attack from my enemies. You care for all of my needs, anointing my head with soothing, fragrant oil, filling my cup again and again with your grace. Certainly your faithful protection and loving provision will pursue, will pursue me where I go, always, everywhere. I will always be with you eternal, in your house, forever. We follow a shepherd who's so committed to seeing us restored. One of the reasons Jesus came, he said, was to destroy the works of the enemy. The enemy has had a long time to study you. He studied you your whole life. So I want to know, what lie did you pick up when life let you down? What lie did you pick up when life let you down? Because you know what? He saw your potential long before you ever did. You just look at the ways the enemy came against you in your childhood, you will see a very clear area where he found you to be a threat. And his threat to you is very connected to your threat to him. And you want to turn the table on the enemy? Make him sorry he ever messed with you. Do the work of seeing soul restoration in your life. Don't keep numbing out the stuff that you don't want to feel. You have to feel it to heal it. Every one of you in this room, you've been traumatized by something. You've been betrayed, rejected. There's two types of trauma, things that happen to us and things that should have happened for us. Maybe you went without something. Maybe you had an absent parent. You know, I mean, who knows, but God knows. And I'm praying that you would love your story enough to feel it so you can heal it. 
God wants to restore you, and the world needs your influence. What lie did you pick up when life let you down? Your threat to the enemy is a real one, and his threat to you is as well. And Jesus says the enemy did come to steal, kill, and destroy. But I come that you have life and life abundantly. As we get ready to wrap up, I want you to think about this again. The storms reveal the lies we believe and the truths we need. God will allow an overplayed enemy attack when he knows you're ready and positioned for freedom. So don't misinterpret your storms. God will allow the enemy to come after you with an overplayed attack that totally reveals his hand so that you can be positioned for freedom. If you've been walking through a storm, I want you to stand up because I want to pray for you. Stand up. I dare you. Who cares what anybody around you thinks? If you're serious about the things of God, be serious about the things of God. We always want relief, right? We want to get through the moment, not feel. I just got to get through this day, get through this moment. We want relief. God wants redemption. We want a break. God wants a breakthrough. Come on. Be serious about your faith walk. Be serious about your soul and your story. When God gets into that place and restores your soul, seriously, the enemy will be sorry he messed with you. But guess what else? You'll be less triggerable. You'll be able to walk onto the battlefield and rescue others because of the redemption that's happened in your story. Let's pray. Father, I pray for every person who rose up. I pray in the name of Jesus that you begin the healing process. I thank you, God, that you are mighty to save, that you are intent on our wholeness, our well-being, our restoration. I pray you pour oil of gladness over their heads. I pray you'd restore and heal them in the deepest places. I pray you'd ignite it, initiate it even now, that you would start to speak to them about the hurts in their heart and the losses that they've endured. I pray, God, that you would tilt their chin up, that they would feel your affection, your smile, your fierce commitment. Jesus, you are tender with their weaknesses, and you are fierce in their defense. May they get to know you better, Lord Jesus. May they grow in their confidence in who you are. I pray for godly mentors in their lives to process some of these things. I pray for visions and dreams, Lord Jesus. Show them where you're taking them, how you want to use them, how you want to change the world through them. I pray, God, the gap would widen between how people affect them and how you affect them. I pray they'd be delivered from the bondage of others' opinions so they can be free to be everything you intended. God in heaven, do a miracle in the lives of these dear souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.